My name is Marie White, and I'd like to welcome you to the White Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you? I'm doing well, Marie. It's good to be back for another episode. Today is Thursday, November 3rd, 2022, and the Phillies are going to win tonight. Woo-woo! I certainly hope for that. After last night's game, which we're not going to talk about, we're moving on with new energy. Absolutely. Last night did not happen. In today's episode of the White Bikini, we are going to discuss Tom Brady's legacy. It's all over the news with him and Giselle getting divorced. And I thought it was an interesting take on had he just stayed retired last year, he'd probably still be married. And now I feel like he is tarnishing his legacy with all this nonsense. I'd agree. Uh, My thought immediately goes to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan came back from retirement after playing baseball. And I just, my last impression of Michael Jordan was, I think he was playing for the Washington Wizards. And I just had the, I just have this memory of watch of Michael Jordan on a breakaway and missing a dunk. And it was just that the lasting memory of such a great player, just being unable to even dunk a basketball was so sad. And I think that's some, something similar might be, you know, we're halfway through the football season. So who knows? Um, but it kind of looks like that's what's kind of that, that will be Tom Brady's legacy that he will go out limping rather than going out as a champ because he just didn't know when to say when. And Giselle, as it turns out, well, it's it's not quite determined yet. The season isn't over, but I think Giselle may have had a better sense of when to stop than Tom. Yeah, I feel like he's lacking maturity and he is still a young man, but not in the sports world. He's no. only 45. Yeah, and I mean, and for civilian life, so to speak, 45 is still a fairly young person, but in the sports... 46 is when it's not young. Yes, at 46, you pretty much can put someone in the grave. Um, <laughs> so anyone who's going to be turning 46 this year, you might as well just you know, drive yourself down to the glue factory. Um, Amen, brother. As I was saying, uh, at that age in the sports world, that's extraordinary. Uh, and I and I think it speaks to Tom Brady's legacy of someone who invested in himself for over 20 years to, to be able to play at, at such an elite level. I mean, he has been very fortunate. Uh, he's had some great players around him, uh, but he's also invested in his body. I mean, I, you may know this better than I, but like he and Giselle like don't eat processed foods and sugars and all that stuff that makes life worth living. Have you heard that? Yes, they are on a very strict diet. They watch everything they eat, but I can't help but think, and I do have a lot of, a lot more respect for Giselle than I used to, but I think a lot of that is Giselle Drew. I would agree with that. I would uh, absolutely agree with that. But she definitely does seem to have a sense of groundedness, whereas I think Tom is kind of the dumb jock. And and I don't want to believe that because even though I'm not a Tom Brady fan, uh, let me just put that out there. I think Tom Brady's a dork, but as far as quarterbacks go, according to Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. And according to the record, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in NFL history. So it's an extraordinary achievement. And there is, it's going to end. And I don't think he has come to a comfortable place within himself where he can accept this is the end of the road. And that's unfortunate. Or did they decide to divorce after he said he was going to retire and they hit it for a year and he thought, well, what the heck? I better jump back in? I don't know. That's a great question. You know, was the on retirement a move to escape um, the difficulties of a divorce? I don't know. But, you know, we can only infer from the superficial celebrity gossip news that we've received media. That is Tom Brady was essentially given an ultimatum. I think two ultimatums. I don't think it was just last year. I think she's insisted that um, he retire and not miss his children growing up. So I don't think it was simply what happened last year. I think this has been an ongoing going process. 
I think when he left New England, I think there was an ultimatum given and he moved to Tampa Bay and he had a successful season, so successful he won another Super Bowl. And I think she was willing to overlook that because he achieved his dream of winning with another team. And I think even a great quarterback wants to know that it's not his coach or his old team, that he brings a unique set of skills to the table that makes him special. And I get that. I, I totally understand that need. But after winning in Tampa Bay and then pursuing yet another season, another year of not seeing your children grow up, I totally understand Giselle's perspective. And I think under this conversation is we're beginning to watch the aging of the millennials. Yes, yes. I, I would absolutely say that. And I and I think we're watching, you know, them. Although, I don't know. I mean, Tom, I, maybe Giselle might be a millennial, but Tom, I would consider like a baby Gen Xer. But I suppose for all practical purposes, just to put on, you know, nice clean edges because a baby Gen Xer is, doesn't really have much in common with an older Gen Xer. So they have more in common with, I think, a millennial. But we'll Do you consider yourself a Generation X? I think according to the cultural framework, I would fall into that sort of Tom Brady baby Gen Xer. But realistically, in terms of my cultural experience, I have way more in common with millennials than I do with Gen Xers. So we're, we're talking about Tom and Giselle, but we're also talking about, again, the aging of the millennial, the baby Gen Xers, and the difference in marriage today versus 20 years ago. Giselle came into this marriage with a lot of money, so it's easy for her to piece out what she wants to. She doesn't have to depend upon his pay. It's a factor, but I don't think it's the biggest factor. And perhaps it's not the biggest factor simply for the fact that she has so much money. I, I truly do believe believe that she was invested in this relationship. They have three kids. I don't get the impression that she's fickle. I think she is one of the most grounded business women of her generation to emerge from the fashion industry. You know, we did a podcast on uh, Linda Evangelista in the summer. I don't get the sense that Linda has the same mind that Giselle does when it comes to a, a sharpness of uh, business opportunities and how to market herself and her image. Um, I think she's uniquely talented in the same way I think Tom Brady is uniquely talented as a football player. I think Giselle, as a businesswoman, not simply a model, but as a businesswoman in the modeling industry, is uniquely talented. I mean, how much is she worth? I read four hundred million along with Tom. They're each worth that separate. So combined, they have a net worth of almost a billion dollars. Correct. That's extraordinary. And you were talking about the difference between the millennials aging and previous generation. Well, there's an example right there. You have a self-made woman who's worth half a billion dollars or thereabout. That's the significant difference right there. And you have more and more of these women, whether it's uh, the Kardashian, um, I forget which one it is. They're all kind of a blur in my mind. The one that owns the makeup line. Kendall. Thank you, Kendall Jenner. No, excuse me. Kylie Jenner. Kendall's the model. Okay. You also have the Fenty line. So you have this evidence now of a generation of young women, millennials, who are self-made millionaires, or in, in the case of Rihanna, billionaire. That's a difference there. That's a significant difference. These women, I mean, granted the Kardashians, you know, had a head start in life. But as far as I can tell, like someone like Rihanna did not. I don't think Giselle necessarily came from a very wealthy family either. So now her, her father was a university teacher and her mother worked as a bank clerk. There you go. That doesn't spell, um, you know, five star hotel lifestyle to me. That that sounds like it's someone who had a unique opportunity in life, you know, blessed with genetics that Western world valued. And she parlayed that to a substantial fortune in 20 years. It's remarkable. Well, I wanted to defend my girl Linda because Linda and I are from the same generation and I 
think that had social media, the feminist movement, I think if things had been different for my generation, we did not have the advantages of social media. There's so many advantages of someone like Giselle, Kendall Jenner. The world has changed. And I do believe if Linda had those opportunities, she might have taken more advantage of it. But we were also sidelined, as you and I have discussed, about the focus was always on being in a partnership. And I don't think these young girls care about that. No, they don't. Uh, they they pursue, uh, excuse me, they perceive relationships the way men have perceived relationships forever. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's transactional. It's transactional. They're going to get, uh, they're, they're, they're selecting their mates the way men used to select their mate as someone who may, you know, makes them feel good. Uh, they're not reliant upon their mate or economic survival. Uh, they pick and choose their mates very much the way that men have always picked and chosen women. And when I say men, I should say men of property, men of, of wealth. Uh, the average guy out there, you know, can't necessarily do those things. And I think that's one of the dynamic that has changed. Tom Brady, his full name is Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., was born August 3rd, 1977 in San Mateo, California. And he does seem like he was born in California. Oh yeah, he definitely has got that California vibe going. How many Super Bowl victories has he won, Nicholas? I want to say seven. Correct. 2002, 4, 5, 15, 17, 19, and 21. And how many times was he named the Gay Games MVP? That's a harder question. Uh, this is a pure guess. I want to say four times. Of course, you were exactly close. Five times. Five 2002, times. 4, 15, 17, and 21. That That is, I mean, the quarterback usually, the quarterback of the winning team usually wins uh, the MVP of the Super Bowl. Uh, but that's still pretty remarkable. I mean, there are a lot of teams uh, who make it to the championship, uh, whether it's the World Series or the um, Super Bowl. And to win it and to win it as many times as he did, truly remarkable. And I'm saying this as an Eagles fan. I still remember the, the Super Bowl uh, 52 that the Eagles won, which I which I still believe is one of the most entertaining Super Bowls I've ever watched. It was thrilling. It's as if it was scripted. And I think that's what made it so special to the people here in the city of Philadelphia because we beat the best. We beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots, while I think Tom was still at his peak at, in his prime. And Tom Brady, if not for just a, an amazing defensive play at the end of the game, probably would have marched his team down the field to either tie or win the football game. So Tom Brady's no joke. I stand by my position. I think he looks like a dork, but he's an amazing uh, quarterback. I feel like Tom Brady is the Tom Cruise of sports. In terms of his intensity? His intensity, everything about him. I don't consider Tom Cruise a dork, but that intensity they both have, they, he reminds me of him. I can see that. I can definitely see that. I think they're both serious. I think there are a lot of extremely talented players that have come through the NFL uh, at every position, uh, and they failed to capitalize on the opportunity. And I think Tom Brady, once he was given that opportunity, he never let it go. And he got better and better and better. He came prepared. Uh, he made sure he was mentally prepared and physically prepared and psychologically prepared. He he truly, as you don't become that good necessarily and, and stay that good that long unless you're dedicated to maintaining your body and mind. And, and it's remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable what he has been able to achieve. And I think his wife has done the same thing. His wife has remained relevant. And even after the, I would say the fall of Victoria's Secret, and the fall of conventional modeling. Maybe you can speak better on to this point than I can. Um, I think his wife has remained a relevant cultural icon and, and sort of like a, a superlative beauty icon. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree. And Giselle has evolved and I listened to a podcast during 
the height of the pandemic and it was a Vogue podcast. And I have a lot more respect for Giselle now because a lot of people made fun of her, didn't think she was going to make it. And she, like Tom, really stuck to her business model. And I have a respect for what she has accomplished. And she had a lot of competition. I'd say, I'd say, I mean, and sports is the same thing. You know, I, as I like to say, every day there is someone who just turned 18 coming to take your job. And actually, I think even in the modeling industry, it's perhaps even more competitive because at least in football, you know, you know, you have to at least get through a year or two of college and, and physically maturing before you can get into the draft. I mean, we don't pick kids out of high school to play football. They'll get murdered. Uh, in modeling, however, I guess as soon as a girl becomes 13, she's pretty much on the radar of scouts everywhere. If you're over five foot, what, eight, five foot nine, and you're 13 years of age or older, you know, and you just turned 13, you're pretty much being scouted. Granted, it's, it's similar, in, you know, in sports, you know, where the, the kids are being ranked from the time they're in middle school. But I think it's perhaps even more competitive. And I think in modeling, the competition would be is pretty fierce. What, what would you say to that? Oh, no, I, I agree. And as a, I think after Leonardo DiCaprio and Giselle broke up, what I respected about her is she just switched it around. She went, went on a date with Tom Brady. Now, granted, they started off very awkward because his girlfriend at the time, Bridget Moynihan, was pregnant after he started dating Giselle. Yeah, that was kind of awkward. Um, do you know what the relationship is like with uh, the children that Tom and Bridget share? Like, is, is that child part of the family? Do they get invited? Or is like that child the redheaded stepchild? No, Tom's son with Bridget Moynihan is probably with Tom as much as he is with his mother. I don't know the kind of relationship that Tom Brady has with Bridget Moynihan. She has since remarried, so I think they've all obviously moved on. He is well-loved, well-cared for, and Giselle looks like an extraordinary stepmother. Well, that's I think that's fantastic. Um, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, in many instances, these things go sideways. But anyway, back to the topic at hand rather than uh, cursory stuff. Uh, so, you know, what do you think, is there one thing or two things that you would point to as to why Giselle broke the mold and became so extraordinarily wealthy? And what what, what, what would you attribute that to? Because we can also talk about what I think the difference, what made Tom special, but, you know, maybe you can speak to uh, Giselle. Well, Giselle was born July 20th, 1980 in Argentina, Brazil. She first gained fame in the late 1990s and later became a supermodel, which I like Giselle, but I don't like that term except used for my ladies. Okay. But perhaps best known as the face of the American lingerie company, as you were saying, Victoria's Secrets. This is interesting. In 1994, this podcast is becoming about Giselle, isn't it? In 1994, at age 14, she was spotted in a shopping mall by a modeling agent for elite model management. She appeared in 1999 on the cover of American Vogue, which proclaimed the return of the sexy model, thereby marking the end of the then popular and controversial look known as heroin chic. An extremely thin physique paired with pale skin, dark under eye circles, often disheveled hair and clothing. And in the same year, she was named Model of the Year and honored jointly awarded by Vogue and the American Cable Television Network, VH1. And I do remember Giselle being the end of heroin sheet, which I was not a fan of. Can we both agree that, listen, there are different people of different body types, and I'm thinking specifically of Kate Moss, someone who's very 
thin, very fair, very pale, some might say, and has that look naturally. Whether she uh, participated in using drugs or not, that's just, from what I can tell, that's the way she looked. But I think to elevate a disease, which is drug addiction, I think that was a mistake. That was, that was probably one of those times in our cultural uh, psychology where we probably mess, got it wrong. It's like when we used to do, you know, it's like when doctors used to prescribe uh, cocaine to uh, lonely housewives. <laughs> that was probably a bad move. And I think to elevate that imagery for young, impressionable, impressionable girls, I mean, like, think about it. 20 years removed from that era, we're finally at a place in society where we can start to deal with some of the most fundamental issues that affect developing young women, uh, teenage, uh, not even teenage tweens even and speak about it in an open and frank way can you imagine being you know a teen back in you know the late 90s and having to define your beauty by someone who looks like they were on heroin well i mean i think we went from and you and i devoted a podcast of the 90s but it was the kurt cobain courtney love calvin klein kate moss marky mark winona Ryder, mark jacobs and sophia coppola it was that whole like 92 I'm actually surprised it went to 99, but I guess looking back it did. And then when Giselle, Giselle came in, it was a woman, even though she was perfectly built, she had a little, she did have a fuller breast, a fuller body type, and she was also sexy. And the main thing is, is that she smiled. And that was one thing I learned on the podcast, that people made fun of Giselle because she was all always so happy and smiling. But Giselle said, why wouldn't I be? And I liked her enthusiasm and optimism, which we know the mid-90s were not about that. I would agree with that. I, I would I would agree with that. Um, no, it's, she definitely has charted her her own course. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you had to choose between um, Kate Moss or Giselle Bundchen, you know, in 1999, I think the, the good money would have been on Kate. So it, it, it speaks to her um, longevity and I think her business acumen, or at least surrounding herself with the people that have the acumen to um, to get her to where she is right now in her life, where by any measure, she's a successful woman. In 2009, Giselle and Tom Brady married. In the same year, she was appointed Goodwill Ambassador for the United Nations Environment Program. She was also featured in the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art exhibition, The Model as a Muse in Body and Fashion 2009, which showcased the models who epitomized fashion during the 20th century. She's also had product lines footwear, clothing, jewelry, friendly, environmentally friendly skincare. So she also, like Tom Brady, cast football. She is her own brand. Yes. And I think that's one of the lessons. She was probably a trailblazer for, um, you know, we, we just cited uh, Rihanna and the Jenners. I think, you know, and, and I think, you know, in the previous podcast about uh, the 90s and models, we talked about Kathy Ireland and Cindy Crawford. I think these women recognize that they were in an environment that didn't offer them a very long shelf life. It's highly competitive. And as I said, there's a young girl turning 13 every day. And I think she was aware, she was self-aware enough to know that she had the goods to parlay her, her beauty into a business. And she leveraged that and parlayed it into, I think what you could reasonably call an empire. If in one gen, and I was going to say, if in one generation, you can make nearly half a billion dollars, that's damn close to an empire. But also, and you know, my favorite girl is 
is Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow was the, well, I shouldn't say the first, but she took that branding, her goop, into a next level that was paved the way for a Giselle, for a Kylie Jenner. Women could do anything. They didn't have to just stay a model when Linda came up and Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford, as we discussed, kind of got on the furniture and making all that money. But Giselle was the first Gen Xer that kind of opened, paved the way for that. Yeah, and I and I suppose, you know, we live in a society that as much as we pay attention to models and they generate a lot of money, we just don't, we also live in a society we just don't take them seriously. And I think perhaps that's a consequence of misogyny. Um, so it is kind of remarkable that we're, you know, as we delve into this podcast, that we're gaining insights into uh, the skill and talent that she had off the runway, because you just don't achieve that level of um, business success by luck or even just by hard work. It requires talent and skill and it requires, you know, as, you know, as I alluded to, assembling a team around you of people who can help get you to your goals. So it, it's it's remarkable. I, th- I think they're a remarkable team. And I think even in, you know, I don't know if we're at the point where we want to start talking about the divorce, but even the fact that they both had the foresight to uh, construct or compose a prenup agreement that would protect them so that by the time divorce happened, it was no must, no fuss. It, it goes to show that they're incredibly uh, mature people that have a, a strong sense of uh, discipline and, and, and self-control. And I think that's part of what I wanted to parse out is Tom Brady is a different generation of football player. He's a different generation of the American male. Giselle, along with him, they actually were civilized. Now, granted, Giselle went into the marriage with money. Had Tom Brady married someone different, it might not have gone as smoothly. Well, that, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and I think quite, to be reasonable, you know, if you mar- if you marry a Tom Brady and you go into a relationship with a man that has amassed the kind of wealth he does, I think as a partner, it would be almost ridiculous for you not to um, have some expectation that some of those assets, you do some of those assets. I, I understand other people out there listening to this might feel differently, but um, especially once children are involved. But I also think it's kind of the new civilized divorce. It's that with Gwyneth Paltrow started the un- the conscious un- <laughs> the conscious uncoupling. I know, and we mocked her for it. But you know, if if all divorces were like this, I think the lawyers would be out of uh, out of work because you know we have we see these divorces in the media that take years and they're contentious and there's a lot of acrimony and there is um, the children the children are their lives are disrupted beyond their parents you know separating and ending their marriage um, you know having to go to school and hearing about your mother's um, sex tape or your dad's overdose when he was, you know, in a rock band or something like that. You know, I'm just saying that for the sake of argument. I, I don't know that, you know, I, I give them credit for doing it the right way. And there was somebody, I guess what I'm trying to get to is I think Tom Brady has temporarily tarnished his legacy. I would agree because with that. Now, yeah, because now it's going to be like, oh, well, he retired, then he didn't. Now he's divorcing Giselle. He's kind of lost that... He's getting to that age and some decision-making. He's kind of, that sparkle is starting to dull. Yeah, you know, as I said before, I think Giselle made the right call when she allegedly made the final ultimatum. Hey, Tom, you know, it's it's time to call it a career. You have nothing to prove to the rest of the world. You don't need the money. I'm sure she understands that walking away from something you love and that you're really good at and something that has defined your sense of self is really difficult because she was 
in the public eye. You know, she grew up in front of us. She watched herself age. And I think for anyone whose identity is defined by the way they look, I have to imagine not only their identity, but their ability to put food on the table is defined by the way they look. It must be incredibly difficult to wake up one day. And I don't know what that age is. You know, is it? It's 50. Well, I, I'm thinking for um, professional models. You know, oh, for professional is it models. 20, is it 21, 22, 23, 24? Uh, I, I, I don't think that stands today. I, I just don't think this is the 1970s and 80s churning out models. I think we've gotten a little more nuanced. You're allowed to be heavier. You're allowed to be older. But I do think Giselle came up in the era that that still was not in the background yet. It was still like, get in there, get the money and get out by the time you're 30. That's where I was going as well. I think, yes, in 2022, I think the landscape has changed and a standard beauty, I think, has expanded. And I think for the better, for society's better. And, and I think for the betterment of young women, especially who define themselves by those standards. But I think, you know, I think when when by the time Giselle was in her mid 20s, which I think reasonably 15 years ago was a time when most models are essentially, you know, given the golden watch and say, hey, you know, thanks for all you did. Get out of here. I think she recognized that she needed to take her talents and, as I've said, use it to expand her reach, you know, in terms of public advocacy. I was thinking about, and I should have been better prepared regarding their diet regimen. Here it is. They swear by an 80-20 diet, one that consists of 80% alkaline components and 20% acidic components. They do not eat tomatoes. And I, and I, I think, as I mentioned, they don't eat tomatoes. Uh, you just pointed that out. And I think they don't eat processed sugars. Like, I, it's yeah. incredibly incredibly rigid diet that they follow. His diet varies from season to season across the year to maintain harmony and balance throughout his metabolic system. He eats meals like red meat in the winter and mostly raw foods in the summer months. Yeah, I think anyone who wants to, who's curious about this after perhaps listening to this podcast, just Google uh, Tom and Giselle's diet. In and of itself, it's fascinating. The level of commitment that they have to their bodies and, and, and listen, their bodies that's how they make their living. So it's it's he, it's remarkable. He also adheres to the famous TB12 method, which advocates for, among other things, drinking up to one and 32 ounce of one body's weight in water every day. <laughs> My man must be going to the bathroom every 20 minutes. But yeah, yeah, it's it, it's the level of dedication. I, I think it'd be difficult. I, I wonder what it's like for their kids because they seem to be the type of um, type A personalities. I don't know if that's the case, but I imagine that they are like, you know, their kids have to be almost perfect. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean that as they put so much pressure on themselves. You know, I, I hope it's a kind of environment that is nurturing. No, I think I do think with the advocate of healthy eating, like everything, if it's done within reason, I, I think it's a good thing. Just younger people today, they don't want pesticides in their food. I can't tell you, and probably even you up until a point, we ate a lot of with pesticides on. Yes, because they I mean, were, I, tried to I was going to say, you know, our idea of like picking out good fruits in the supermarket was, was it big and shiny? The idea, <laughs> the idea that it might be laden inside and out with toxic pen pesticides, you know, that's, that's part of the, the, the whole foods sort of awakening that is spread across America. I mean, I mean, people would go to Acme and people would go to their local supermarket here in the Philadelphia region, you know, Pathmark, God rest its soul. Um, oh, I miss 
things. Exactly. And they would, you would pick out your produce and your vegetables and your fruits based on how shiny and big they were. But we had no concept that apples weren't supposed to be the size of softballs, you know? And the reason that they were that way is because they're pumped full of um, synthetic chemicals. Oh, the good old days. The good old days. Yes. I mean, that's why us Americans are so gigantic. I, I'm not sure if I've ever told you the story. The first time I went back to Jamaica, got off the plane, walking through the airport, I'm looking around me. And I was still, I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. And I'm thinking, oh my God, these people are emaciated. They look like they're starving. But it took a second for me to realize, no, these people aren't emaciated. They're not starving. This is what normal people look like outside the United States. And uh, it's it's interesting. It's just interesting. But back to Tom and uh, Giselle, it's just- Are you fat shaming Americans? I am speaking to the options that were provided. I'm not fat shaming anyone because we're, you're only as good as the food that you have access to. And you know, for, for all the inflation that seems to be happening in society, you know, you still have dollar menus at McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King. And as long as those things exist, you know, the difference between a place like the United States and a place like Jamaica is that it's actually far more expensive to eat fast food, at least it was when I was a child, than um, than it was to buy food and cook it at home. And I mean that. It was actually more expensive to go and buy yourself a Big Mac or I think Burger King was there before McDonald's, but a Whopper. It was more expensive to go buy yourself a Whopper than it was to go buy yourself rice and chicken and, and cook your so, food. And, and that, so they, go ahead, sorry. They did have electricity when you were growing up? I, I think it had been invented by that point. <laughs> we didn't have feet though. We, feet hadn't been invented yet. So we just kind of like rolled around on the ground. I was reading a few articles about Tom Brady and some of it was going over the difference in the approach of marriage. But I found a quote from him that he said that this really struck me that Giselle has been home taking care of the children. She has given them a cocoon-like childhood, which they obviously have the money to. But Tom's been quoted as saying, I haven't had a Christmas in 23 years, a Thanksgiving in 23 years. I haven't celebrated birthdays with people that I care about that are born from August to late January. I'm not able to be at funerals and I'm not able to be at weddings. Last year, Tom Brady has been quoted saying he believes he's capable of playing until he's 50, at which point his oldest child, his 15-year-old son with actress Bridget Moynihan, will be grown. Yeah, and that's a, that's a kind of madness that takes over in the minds of athletes. Uh, there is nothing like playing professional football on the biggest stage in the world. We see this with rock stars. How many rock stars out there at, you know, in their mid 70s, 80s with their wrinkly skin uh, jamming out? And I think <laughs> it's there's an addiction. There's a rush. There's a an identity that comes from that. And I think I think what Tom Brady needs right now, Tom Brady needs perhaps, you know, some good friends to sit him down. Maybe he goes see, you know, a priest, a rabbi or a mom, a therapist, a therapist. or a therapist. I'm, I'm getting down the line and someone to help him redefine his identity and someone to acknowledge the fact that he has become addicted to the rush. Football, you know, is a very violent, explosive sport. Um, but with that level of excitement comes a whole lot of adrenaline and a whole lot of uh, dopamine. And um, I think we may have to start looking at some of these older athletes um, with a little bit more compassion and saying, you know, they're perhaps not making the best decisions because their brains are actually been affected. And I'm not even getting into the realm of uh, CTE, you know, concussive traumatic encephalitis um, that might someday, you know, destroy the game of uh, football. But the idea that you have these in the same way that you can become addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling. I think Tom Brady's an addict. I think he's addicted to the NFL and he's so 
such an addict that it's destroyed his marriage. You know, listen to what he just said. He has sacrificed all those important events in the lives of his family and those he cares about for football. And it'd be one thing if he was, uh, you know, he had just turned 40. He had just finally made himself, uh, gotten himself to a team with a serious chance of winning. And he just wanted one more chance to win. But Tom Brady has done everything you could want to meaningfully do in the game of football. I wonder, though, is some of it, as we've spoken about, also a big, a lot of this behavior is a mental health problem. I agree. That's essentially what I was alluding to. I think there is, and, and my initial, you know, uh, guy at the end of the bar diagnosis is, I think he's he's addicted. I think he's addicted to what football does for him, the way he feels and how he sees himself. And he is so blinded by those feelings that it cost him a relationship with his wife. I'd say that's pretty significant. I mean, like, he's not going to go broke. He's not going to gamble away, you know, the family fortune, you know, on um, in a slot machine in Atlantic City. He's not going to, he's not in that position. I think they have enough money and I think he's smart enough that even if, God forbid, he were to like lose his mind and go, you know, do something reckless, he'd still be fine and insulated from his worst instincts. But I think he's at a point right now where I, you know, sometimes these guys, it's it's kind of like when these soldiers come home and they, they suffer from post-traumatic stress. I think he, I think that for Tom Brady, not playing football is almost like not being alive. And I get that, but that needs, that needs to be addressed with professionals. And you, you mentioned the older guys that are still out there singing. He, that's why this obsessive reminds me of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is still doing his own Stunt. stunts. Yeah. And then I think about, I saw, and I probably sent it to you a while ago, um, an interview with Brad Pitt, that he came out in front of the audience and just said, you know what? I'm old. He said, I don't, I let people do my stunts now. He said, I don't like to shoot at night anymore. <laughs> and, and I thought it's so refreshing to hear someone, I understand the background of what's happening with Brad and Angelina Jolie, but everyone's kind of processing aging very different. Now, Tom and Brad are my generation. 45 is the age when you begin to realize that you're not 30 anymore. And you start to feel it and you start to see it. Uh, you know, you can you can slip past 30, you can slip past 40. And, you know, if you have managed to take care of your, your body, you probably won't see a lot of dramatic differences, at least when you look in the mirror um, between 30 and 40. But by the time you get to your mid 40s, unless you're just like gooping on the hair dye, at the very least, you're going to see those silver threads sprouting out of your scalp. Um, You're going to see that your skin is a little bit looser than you remember it. Um, You know, those changes are are gradual until they're not. They're gradual until it's like everything. It's gradual, then it's suddenly. And then it happens suddenly. Exactly. So I, I, I feel for those people, you know, whether it's Brad or Tom Brady or Giselle or, you know, the those those guys that are out on stage, you know, you know, with their diapers, you know, jamming. Um, it's 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 I understand this is the thing you do and you love the thing you do. I think Tom Brady loves football. I don't think it's simply just he's addicted to the thrill of it. I think that's a component, but I think Tom Brady genuinely loves playing football. Um, it's it's who he is. Uh, but I think there is needs to be a recognition. And I think hopefully people who care about him will say, Tom, there's nothing 
more to prove, man. There's nothing more to prove. You're the GOAT. You're the greatest, greatest of all time. You can, you know, rest on your laurels and you can step off the stage. It's over. And you, and like Giselle did. Giselle, after modeling, what, she, wouldn't she a UNICEF ambassador, I believe you said? Yeah, she kind of, she kind of switched it up very quickly. She became a mother. Victoria's Secrets, let's be honest. She left at the time that the industry was starting to change. Yeah, she got out before I think the whole Victoria's Secret and the, that look, that model look started to change and, and society started to reject that kind of um, unrealistic beauty. Let's let's put it that way. I think, you know, you walk past um, uh, stores these days and it's much more diverse. So there are more, there's room for people who are, don't have white skin and blue eyes. Let's be honest. And I think she, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think she left, uh, you know, as much as perhaps her time just came to an end in the same way we're talking about Tom Brady. Um, but she found a way to take her talents and advocate for people who don't have as much as she does. And I think Tom, maybe, maybe you know, this is what Tom needs to do. Maybe, you know, he still has his health. I mean, we just talked about how remarkably healthy these people are, that he can take his health and parlay that into advocating for those people in his community who don't have as much as he does. And who knows? I can see Tom Brady becoming a politician if he wants to, because, you know, all you need to do to win public office is to be famous. You don't need to know a damn thing. Look at Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker can barely read and Herschel Walker is likely going to be the next senator from Georgia. Did we make this a political podcast? I think we just did. I think we just did, but... Um, I think you just did. I think there's a future. Let's settle on that. There is a bright, bright future for Tom Brady. And I think... So you don't think he ruined his legacy? I think he... It's tarnished, but I think unless he gets caught with a dead hooker or a live boy, he's fine. Nicholas. What? That, that, that's the only thing that can destroy your career. Um, I think he's fine. I think people will, will look back on it and, you know, 20 years from now, no one will remember that Michael Jordan. I mean, you ask most millennials who were babies probably around the time Michael Jordan played his last game. You know, the younger millennials, they won't remember Mil uh, Michael Jordan. They won't remember the fact that Michael Jordan couldn't uh, get up for a dunk. They won't remember any of that. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Tom Brady. I think he'll reinvent himself in a couple of years. I think he has to. He has to. He, you know, I, I don't say this dismissively because I, as I've said on multiple podcasts, I struggle with mental illness. But if Tom Brady doesn't find another outlet, another means of expression, something that gives his life purpose and meaning, Tom Brady will either turn to drugs or Tom Brady will be dead by 50. Because I think I think so much of who he is is tied to football so that it has to be something absolutely meaningful. And this is why I think politics would be great for him because he still gets to be in the spotlight. He still gets the adulation. He still gets to be popular. A lot of the things that football presents, um, you know, I, I think politics, because politics is, is, is extremely competitive. I think, you know, and he he is, the he will be the perfect Republican candidate. What, what Wherever he settles, whatever state he runs from, whether it's uh, Senator, dog catch or whatever, you know, they're, they're, he appeals to a, an ideal that I think a lot of Republicans identify with. So I think he, I think go ahead. No, go on. no, no, I was just going to say finally that I think he has a bright future. I think it's just up to, up to him to realize that this football thing has come to an end and there's nothing he has to prove. I think he's going to run president. I can see that. I, I mean, he's, you know, at his age, you know, you get a uh, elected office, get into polit political office, you know, run for a state senate, um, maybe become senator one day. And I think by the time Tom Brady is in mid 50s, early 60s, it'd be perfect age to run for president. Um, I think he can do it because I, I think th th America loves their, pol love their politicians to look like Tom Brady. And that's also a part of it. You mean white? Not just white, but you know, Tom Brady is kind of like got that golden golden boy look that a certain segment of America identifies with. You know, there's, I think, you know,
you know, we're seeing the backlash to diversity. And I think Tom Brady appeals to a particular segment of America. Whereas I think people in, in the state of Georgia, they're kind of holding their nose to vote for Herschel Walker as a former athlete. I think Tom Brady, they would enthusiastically support. If Tom Brady retires tomorrow, if he calls up the coaches and holds a news conference and says, I'm done, I'm leaving the NFL, and he declares himself eligible for elective office for the next round of elections, which, you know, in another two years, I'm almost positive he'll win. Speaking of football, the Eagles are doing incredible. What are we, 7-0? and 7-0, and oh, baby. And our sponsor today is the Springfield Alehouse Deck Delco, 773 West Fall Road, Springfield, Pennsylvania. Phone number is 484-472-6742. They have the best drinks, best appetizers, and with the Phillies, the Flyers, the Eagles doing well. Don't forget the Sixers, time. even though they're doing terribly. <laughs> the season is young. Please follow them on Instagram. Check out their online menu. And their phone number again is 484-472-6742. And please follow them on Instagram at the Springfield Alehouse Delco for all updates. Amen to that. Amen to that. I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful time. And we almost forgot about the the um, the union, uh, Philadelphia's professional men's uh, soccer team. I think they're playing in the championship this coming weekend. Um, so it's a great time to be uh, a Philadelphia sports fan or fan of Philadelphia team. Fire. Yeah, Philadelphia is on fire. Did you see the... Um, <laughs> This is a little inappropriate. I think it was like, uh, I think like a, a porno company that sent the Phil the, the, Phil uh, the city of Philadelphia like five 50 gallon drums of lube to lube the uh, telephone poles in case the Phillies win the World Series. <laughs> I love it. I will leave on that note. Thank you for joining us today on the White Bikini. Bye. Peace out.